0: I'm Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your
1: thoughts into things and manifesting your reality.
0: We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are.
1: The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn
0: our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Sakara Life. One of Saqqara's nine pillars
1: of nutrition, body intelligence, is about honing your ability to listen and respond to your body's needs through awareness, knowledge, and engagement. It's a dynamic intersection of science and spirit, and an essential skill for feeling and performing your best at every stage of life. We're excited to have Dr. Taz back on the podcast, talking about her new book, hormone intelligence. We'll be digging into the five hormonal stages that she says every woman experiences throughout her lifetime. For those of you who haven't listened to her first podcast with us, I highly recommend you go back and take a listen. It's episode number 67 called The Science Behind Optimal Metabolic and Hormone Health. There is so much good information in there. Dr. Taz is a board-certified integrative medicine physician and wellness expert and a fellow of the University of Arizona Program in Integrative Medicine. She's the founder and CEO of her now nationally recognized integrated medicine practice, Center Spring MD, based in Atlanta, and was named a top doctor by Atlanta Magazine last year. Her goal is to serve patients holistically, by pulling from multiple vantage points of functional, holistic, and integrative medicine from both Western and Eastern modalities. In this conversation today, we get into how women's major hormonal shifts mirror common social phases of life, how we can start to view these shifts as opportunities for greater connection with ourselves, and the steps we can all take at every stage to increase our inner body intelligence to set up our body, mind, and spirit for optimal vitality. Please welcome back Dr. Taz.
0: Welcome to the Sakara Life Podcast, Dr. Taz, we're so happy to have you back for episode number two. Oh my goodness, thank you for having me, I love talking
1: to you guys, excited to be here. I know. I'm jealous I didn't get to be at the last one that you all did down nice. in Atlanta live podcast. It was so good. I love listening to it. Strangely,
0: I think I wore this dress. Did you? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> realizing that now. That's so funny. Oh, well, it looks um, good. <laughs> it must be your whole pink theme. On. Right. Well, congratulations on your new book, The Hormone Shift. And typically, I don't think I got to ask you this because it was a live podcast and we were doing an event in Atlanta, but typically we always ask every guest that we have onto the podcast, what is your mission here on earth? What are you here to do to give? What's your message? What are you in service to?
2: I think the word that keeps coming to me is elevate and elevate through connection and through breaking boundaries. I think that I've lived a lot of my life and grown up a lot with breaking boundaries, you know, whether it was in my childhood home or in my career, and even in my marriage, to be 100% honest. And I think that there was a reason for all of that rebellion. I think that at the end of the day, I am supposed to help us see how we're more similar, than we're more different how we can learn from one another, whether we're talking medicine or culture or whatever it is. So I think that's my mission is to help break those boundaries and bring us all together and then elevate kind of our consciousness. And I know that sounds a little out there,
1: but not <laughs> but for our it,
2: listeners, but it is sort of my truth. And and I have to keep correcting and editing myself because I'm a doctor and I live in a very physical and tangible world and I have to not speak too much about where I land in that other world because sometimes I think I lose people.
1: Hopefully that'll change in the future where science and spirit can come together more. I know that that's what we're trying to do with Saqqara Life and with our podcast. I'm curious, what boundaries are you breaking right now in your life? You said in your childhood and even, you know, throughout your relationships, so. Yeah, I think the biggest boundary I'm breaking right now is,
2: and I'm not the first to do this by any means, but very much saying, hey, the right way to do medicine is to merge the best of Eastern and Western medicine together because that's really where you embrace all five of our bodies, right? Our physical, spiritual, mental, emotional you know bodies or social bodies. That's where you can really bring it all together and find answers that work. When you stay kind of just in one mode of medicine or on a very linear path, then your solutions are really limited, you know, and oftentimes they don't work for the patient and patients are left super frustrated. So right now, I think that's the biggest one, to be 100% honest. That's, it's just truly creating, I've been told no a lot, that I can't create a sustainable, scalable model of doing medicine this way. And I think I'm getting a little stubborn about hearing that no and my rebellion's coming back out. And I'm like, I'm going to show you and watch me do this. And we're going to figure it out. So I think that's where I am right now. Love that.
0: I also, I too am fueled by... A no. (laughs) Yes. It's like, (laughs) don't don't tell me no. It's going to be bad for you. Yeah. Yeah. And so The Hormone Shift is your new book. And you talk about there being five shifts. So can you tell us what those are? Because I always thought, you know, or rather we are taught as women that you really only have, I guess, three, right? You have puberty when you get your period. And then if you choose to have kids— then it's around that time, and then menopause, which is really only three. So what are the five
2: I really wanted to help everyone understand that our hormones are important as early as our early childhood and early puberty years because we're really laying the foundation there. So yes, the first shift is puberty. I call those folks the rock stars, right? They are flopping their heads around trying to figure out who they are, maybe a little destructive from time to time, but, but that is truly the first hormone shift. And if we can understand what's happening there, we set young women up for a lot less heartache and grief as they move into, you know, the future decades of their life. So that's the first one. It's a very unstable time. Hormones are all over the place. But again, there's so much we can do to support, you know, what's happening there. And then moving on from that is the 20s, right? The hustlers where, you know, we've all been there. Most of us, like, we're burning the candle at both ends, partying a lot, going out a lot, doing all those things.
1: And we could go us. No, <laughs> no, right?
2: No. I, mean, I would never tell my daughter that. But anyhow, we all thought we could get away with it. And so the word I use for that phase is invincible because we're sort of falsely lulled into the sense of security that nothing can take us down until it does. And that's a massive shift because all of that does shift our hormones. It shifts them towards a higher cortisol state. It's the beginnings of things that many people are talking about now, like adrenal fatigue and the impact on the thyroid and the first sort of inklings of Hashimoto's and PCOS and many of these hormone-based conditions. So that's the second. And then moving on from there, you hit about 28, 29, you're starting to settle in some way. It could be you're settling into a career or you're settling into a family or both, but you're having a little bit stronger sense of yourself. But at the same time, it's a massive juggling era for women from about 28 to about 36, 37. of us, we're starting families. We are juggling, you know, family care, child care, work responsibilities. We're trying to really prove ourselves to a certain extent in our careers in that phase. So it's again another high stress phase. But this time, with the pregnancies and breastfeeding and the shifting that's happening there, we really see more obviously this Chinese medicine concept of depletion, where the body really does start to crash out, especially if the work has not been done. In the first shift or in the second shift. And now we're in this really critical shift. And I see women really struggle. Their progesterone levels drop. Again, we're seeing the adrenal fatigue sort of ramp up or intensify. We're seeing full out declaration of thyroid issues. You know, we're starting to see the earliest signs of estrogen dominance. So we're starting to see what's happening there. Now, most women in this particular phase, I think I called them superstars, are just so busy. They don't have time to slow down and think about their health and and stop for a second. So they usually sail through this phase right into the next one. Which is perimenopause. And that one, you know, I've called them superwomen before. I'm still calling them that because the responsibilities are just intensifying. Usually now they're in leadership roles. They're children. There are multiple children, not just one. They're usually dealing with, you know, two or three or four, sometimes even. You are starting to deal with aging parents, right? And other family members that need our support. So again, the stress is amplifying, and now the hormones truly are shifting in different directions. Progesterone continues to decline. And then this truly is the shift where estrogen levels start to go down. They don't crash. But they do start to go down and the liver and gut get more sluggish. So we start holding on to all this hormones. So this is where women really are like, oh my gosh, what just happened? I'm gaining weight. I'm moody. You know, I can't sleep at night. You know, I'm snapping, like all these different symptoms that they start to notice. And on the medical end of it, this is also where we start to see more autoimmune diseases show up. So women saying they have things like lupus or RA or you know, this whole host of different autoimmune syndromes. This is also where a lot of breast cancer gets gets diagnosed because it is sort of the fallout decade because oftentimes the work hasn't been done in the decades prior. And then moving from those guys, we move into menopause, which is, I you know, I think I sort of drew the line in the sand is 55 and over because some women don't go into menopause until about that time. And that's where ideally we should be coming into our own. We have been caring for everybody else, nurturing so many different things, but not usually nurturing ourselves. And some describe this phase as the time when we kind of give birth to ourselves. And that should be what's happening. But instead, I think sort of the cultural perception of menopause in this particular phase, which most women fall into, is that we need to retreat. We need to hide. We're getting old or we're not relevant anymore or we're expired. And that is completely opposite of what older systems of medicine tell us, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, and so much more. So I am hoping... That with this book, everyone can identify where they are, but more importantly, take care of themselves and understand that each shift is good. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And you have to find the gifts in it and really learn to own them because ultimately what you're trying to get to is sort of this alignment with your true self and your true calling and be able to express that out in the world.
1: You know, I think that so much of this education used to come through our society and our community through our tribes and through our close-knit families. And I've just been realizing more and more about kind of our lack of culture Mm -hmm. these days. There's a culture, but it's lacking this close intimacy of explaining these different phases of life and how to go through them, how to deal with the physical pieces of them and the emotional and the mental pieces of having these changes throughout your life. And so I just find books like this so important for us all to be reading and and learning about so that we can pass it on to future generations as well. You talk about doing the work and that if you haven't done the work and you've gotten to certain stages, it shows up. I'd love to dig into that more around what that work is because I think about myself You know, it was probably around age of 14. I was dealing with terrible cystic acne. And the doctor puts me on birth control pills. The solution for dealing with my hormones in puberty was to mask them, right? To take this pill. So thinking about even starting at that time, what is the work? What could the work have looked like instead?
2: You know, what I really wish is that there was... A certain amount of energy spent in early childhood going into puberty on what's your gut health like? Where is that? It's such a foundational principle. And I think it's so ignored, you know, throughout until it really comes to a crashing head, right? So I feel like that's the beginning of the work. You know, are you nourishing yourself in a way that works for your gut? Are you digesting that incredible food in the right way? What's your microbiome look like? What's happening overall, you know, with your gut health, your nutrition, and how is that playing into how you feel and how much energy and vitality you have? Now, again, if we flip the lens and we talked about older systems of medicine, they would help you with that. You would walk in, they would observe you. It's not necessarily that they would take a ton of lab work, but they would observe you and be like, you know, your chi is off or you've got circles under your eyes. Or let's look at your tongue. There's a lot of coating on the tongue. You're not eating something or digesting something very well. So these were really important things from the get-go. So when I say do the work, part of it is how you nourish yourself. So it is how you nourish yourself physically with food and nutrients and water, air. Like, are you getting outside? And then it's also just how you build your life. Like, are you sleeping? I mean, I'm watching my daughter who's in the rock star era right now right that 13 to 19 phase and do you sleep enough are you falling asleep are you staying asleep how often are you stressed or or do you have outlets for releasing stress so some of that is really teaching women to be very conscious of how they're moving throughout a day. I think a lot of us just move throughout the day, right? And we weren't really intuitive or conscious about it. So I think really building that as a skill, and if that's a skill we could pass on to our daughters, or if this is a skill we could pass on to another woman we know, I think that's the biggest gift. But that doesn't come on a prescription pad. And it doesn't come from a radiological image, right? It comes from being intentional, building a team around you to really help you understand these things and then finding the resources to continue to do that type of work. So it's not easy. It's not like, here, do this. You're going to be better tomorrow. It's very much, okay, let's, let's build a 30-day plan. Let's build a 90-day plan. Let's build a six-month plan. And then working through that and having the patience to really find the answers for you.
0: And it also entails so much kind of personal work because those things you're mentioning, they're not things on a prescription pad, meaning they're not like a frame or a pill I can just take. So they take fundamental change that might not look like, you know, what my household looks like. Like my household might not eat the way that I need to eat for my gut because I had acne or whatever the thing is. And so I think that's where it gets really difficult for people to enact that kind of change because it's almost a it's not just a personal change. It's like a rearranging of your social structure and Mm -hmm. your community and your relationship to those things. But one of the things I think is so important about what you're talking about is this connection between gut health and, you know, your endocrine system and your hormones. I love so much that people are talking more and more about gut health because I think it's one of the few ways that people who, you know, are not, doctors, nutritionists, health experts, etc., can really help build the bridge between how what I eat impacts my health, because we know at least that our food impacts our gut. Like that, Mm -hmm. making that kind of connection is really clear, where I think for some people, if you say what you eat impacts your hormones, it's hard to make that jump. So can you talk to us about the connection between hormones and gut health? Like what's that exact relationship there?
2: I would love to just paint a visual for everybody listening today. Like, it's as simple as thinking about the bacteria in your gut. Think about it like a factory, right? And that factory has multiple responsibilities, just like when we order from Amazon and we get a package in the mail, right? So this is basically an assembly warehouse. It's called a microbiome, but basically what's happening there is that whole microbiome, that factory is determining what your hormones will do. And nothing irritates me more. In fact, it's been interesting to see some of the comments coming through, well, you can't balance your hormones, you can't do this, you can't do that. But that factory, that gut factory, if it is not working well, your hormones go in the wrong direction. They literally take the wrong road. They take the wrong turn. That's why we have this epidemic of estrogen dominance, right? This epidemic of estrogen dominance is partly from the estrogen in our environment, But it's also because the environment and our food and our stress is disrupting what's happening in the microbiome or in that factory. So now we hold on to hormones rather than eliminating them. We build them up and we build up the wrong versions of them that then create all this disease and symptoms and all the other things that we all talk about in terms of stuff that limits us. So the gut hormone connection. If you look at my treatment plans, I'm talking about that over and over and over again and almost like desperate to, to imprint that in my patients' minds because I want them to understand the connection. And the bridge between the two of those things is really the microbiome at the end of the day. It's that factory of bacteria that determine what the body's going to do with the food we eat, how we process everything from emotions to you know stress and so much more. And so there is such a strong connection and so for the naysayers who are constantly like you can't balance hormones, your gut and your hormones are not connected. We've got the research to show it now. You know, first it was like, okay, this is woo-woo medicine or Eastern medicine. Now the research is catching up to this. And we know that things like the estrabolome, which is the gut bacteria that are responsible for metabolizing estrogen, actually exist. We know that bacteria are responsible for making T4 convert to T3, which is the active form of thyroid hormone. That's real, and that's real science. So we know that the gut is a very essential part of hormone balance, and we can't have a conversation around hormones without talking about the gut and sort of the liver attached to it. The gut and liver were both very, very important in Chinese
0: medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, and research is just now catching up to all of that. I have so much respect for allopathic medicine and Western medicine and what it can do, But when it comes to chronic care, I think it's really kind of mistaught us if that's a if that's a right yeah. word. Like we've we need to unlearn some things that are just not true when it comes to dealing with chronic care. And one of them is this idea of root cause. Like, what is mm-hmm. the root cause of what's going on? And I think when people get something like, Oh, my hormones are off, they think of that as this kind of root cause of their other symptoms. But really, your hormones being off is a symptom of something else. And it can feel like a rabbit hole. And so I understand why people might get frustrated, but Typically, you know, when you look at both epigenetics and your microbiome, and like your environment, which is inclusive of your epigenetics, like you can get to so many root causes within those two symptoms or those two kind of systems. When people say, oh, you can't fix your hormones with food," it's like I think one of the things they've misinterpreted or have not unlearned yet from allopathic medicine is that. Once you get a diagnosis, that is your root cause, and that's why everything else is happening, but it's not actually upstream enough. Right. It's still really downstream, and so you're not actually affecting or changing the things you need for all of your symptoms. I mean, I couldn't agree
2: more. I think the problem with medicine, and again, allopathic medicine has a place. I'm not here to say it doesn't have a place. I am, I am an allopathic physician, and it absolutely has a place. But if you look at the history, it was a reductionist kind of mentality. Like everything was separated. Everything was kind of boiled down to you know this particular cell, organ, system, but not interconnected. And I think if we can just self-correct a little bit and come back to Eastern medicine, very much connected things. Western medicine very much reduces things to individual cells and molecules and all this other stuff. If we can meet in the middle, then you have a powerful way of of healing and taking care of everything from your hormones to your gut health and so much more. But I think the ego locks both camps into their own respective place and is really honestly doing humanity a disservice because if we can meet in the middle, practice that way, then, wow, I mean, there's so many amazing healing stories. Just as there are moments in practice where I'm like, I'm sorry, we have to do this medication. Like, you're too far into X, Y, or Z, right? Like, we can't nutritionally correct this at this moment. You can do the nutritional work, but we're going to have to band-aid it for a period of time. So, so yeah, I absolutely agree. It's this, it's this need to kind of self-correct on both schools of thought and to come back into the middle so that we can... Can truly make a difference for everyone.
1: So I'm curious about what you recommend as kind of some checks and balances along the way. Do you recommend getting our gut tested, or how do we find out how our gut is doing when you were saying that's one of the first things in that first shift to be looking at? And really, I think that's a great place to start during any shift in your life. Like, it's never too late to start with your gut health. But kind of what are some of those things along the life path that we should be looking at getting tested, getting checked? Like what age should we be getting a mammogram? All of those types of things. I love that question.
2: And I would say before we even get into all the different things you can test and look at, Just to remind everybody, it really starts with you and almost doing like a body inventory, an emotional inventory of where you are on any given day and to not just run through the days and maybe even set a day like I'm going to check in. But there's like a, a quick checklist that you can ask yourself. Are you going to the bathroom every day? Is it easy for you to digest food? Are you having bloating or reflux? Or let's use an old Chinese medicine tool. Look at your tongue every single day. You know, what? what is it telling you if it's coated and yellow and, and there's a thick coating on there? You know, you're not digesting very well, right? You're not breaking things down well. If there's a lot of white coating on there, you might have too much sugar or too much yeast in your system, you know. But if you don't have too much of a coat there, it looks healthy and, and moderately red, then well, you're in probably good shape. So there are all these tools and a lot of them are on my website and in my blogs and in the book as well. And just a quick way for you to do an inventory of yourself before you even have to step out and ask somebody to do a test. So I would say start there. And I would also say pay attention. Shifts in energy, shifts in your ability to focus, changes in your mood, your inability to do a workout that before was very easy for you. These are all things that is a way for the body to talk to you and to say, hey, like something's changed. Where where do I step in? What do I do from here? So I would say that's the first place. Now, moving on from that, I would say everyone, all women, talking all the way to 13, have your hormones checked at least once a year Ideally twice a year. I would do something like microbiome testing and gut testing also at least yearly. I think it's important to understand what's happening there. And because you can put the two pieces of information together and really make really strong decisions. For example, we can see low progesterone in labs while we see high candida in the gut. So those two patterns go together. So that in turn is going to dictate how I'm going to tell you to eat, maybe what supplements you do and do not need, you know, all that other stuff. So I would say a lot of this Kind of testing should be done at least yearly, and when it comes to hormones, I'm a big advocate of doing it at least twice a year. And people think when I say that I want them to go spend, you know, like a bunch of money on all this expensive testing. A lot of this can be done through lab request. You don't have to, you know, do a Dutch test or you don't have to do a saliva test every single time. There are other ways of testing, so that would be a starting point across the board. And then moving on from there, there are definitely established. Criteria for checking things, mammograms, depending on your age, 35 to 40 is kind of the starting point of that. Colonoscopy, that age has been dropped to 45 at West 50. You know, PAPS are. There's been a debate. I think they should be yearly. They were moved to every three years for a period of time, but I think it's going back to being recommended yearly. Now, what I think is missing in women's health is that I do think women should be doing a pelvic ultrasound at least once a year, if not every two years, because it's another piece of information of looking at what the endometrial lining looks like. Do you have cysts or fibroids? Are there any changes? So I think that one's getting missed. And I think women over 40 need to do some some sort of cardiac workup. Cardiovascular disease is still the number one killer of women, just as much as it is for men. I feel like we talk about it for men a whole lot more. So checking things like blood pressure, lipids, and then actually screening the heart after 40, maybe once a year or once every other year, I think is really important too. That to me is basic, very basic preventive medicine that should be happening. The only other thing I would throw in there is checking inflammation markers as well. I think those need to be tracked year to year to year. And again, that can be done through lab core requests. And that way you can see, you know, when things change for you, what your normal is, when those numbers start to shift and change, and when you may need to be a little bit more proactive about what's going on with you.
1: And so at what age should you get those inflammation markers tested? I would do those every. I would do those every year, starting at thirteen
2: or fourteen. Oh wow! So much PCOS that's showing up in our girls, right? And so much of the mental health stuff that's showing up is actually infl- inflammation. It's inflammatory. So if you can start to track the inflammatory load, then you will see as you bring inflammation down. Girls have a lot fewer issues with their cycles, with focus, with anxiety, with a lot of these other things that our young girls are going through today. So I think that concept of inflammation is something we want to teach them and help them tie it to what their gut is doing, what their hormones are doing, and what it means for their overall well-being, You know how they present in the world and how they feel in the world.
1: Do you like the Genova tests or is there a specific gut test? I love the Genova test. We've used Genova for probably
2: 14 years in practice. I feel like they're very extensive. They get into a lot of detail when it comes to the microbiome, when it comes to how you're digesting fat, what your inflammatory loads are, do you have leaky gut. I think they're a really great company with really great tests. Now, not everybody has access to those, right? That can be challenging for
1: folks. Yeah, they can be a bit pricey.
2: And they're pricey, but there are many other companies that have come into the market in my time of doing this, right, that do home testing. And I see, again, same thing. I see a lot of debate. This test is better than that test. This one's smarter than that one. And for me in practice, I'm going to pick, you know, the most exhaustive comprehensive test, right? Because we're in practice and we can interpret the data and do all of that stuff. But for somebody sitting at home who's not ready to make that leap yet, just do something. And whatever you do is going to provide you information. And then if you consistently use those tools in some rhythm or fashion, you're going to get patterns and trends. And I think it's much more important to understand trending and patterning than it is to understand isolated values here and there. And I feel like everyone gets really locked into... I have this and it's on this test and this test is wrong. Like, let's let go of some of that. Let's just understand what your pattern is, you know? And I think that in itself is valuable information.
0: I love that. It's like getting to know your baselines and what changed from those baselines and when. Totally. Like my thyroid, just to give you an example, is not abnormal on lab work.
2: It's completely normal. But me tracking it over all these years, I saw a shift last year and also noticed in some of my symptoms. I started on thyroid. Numbers are still normal, right? But I feel markedly different, you know? So again, that's why it's really important to know you and understand that all these guidelines are there for advice and support. But at the end of the day, it's bio-individuality. It's your chemistry that's way more important than anything that's been preset.
0: What's one thing that you know to be true, but I don't know, maybe you don't feel like the world's always ready to hear it or... Maybe it's controversial, but that you wish everyone knew. How long do you have? (laughs) (laughs) Four minutes. Oh,
2: man. Okay, one thing. I mean, there's so many, goodness gracious. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that I know to be true is that we are actually far more in control than we realize. And we are not victims necessarily of anything. The problem is the information is not there and the self-knowledge is not out there. And so I'm pretty passionate about how do we help you understand you, you know? Because if you can do that, you're gonna avoid probably 90% of disease and inflammation and all these things that we talk about. Now, what that means though, is that we have to help people understand words like frequency and energy and the connection between gut and hormones and liver health and all these other things. I don't know that the world is ready for that. I can do it in the walls of my practice, but I'm not sure I'm ready to blow it out into yeah. you know, into the regular world and say like, well, you know, you're storing repressed anger in your liver. Therefore, you have inflammation. Therefore, you have estrogen dominance. I'm not sure we're ready for that quite yet.
0: Yeah, we see that too here at We we feel that pain where, you know, people have a lot on their plates, people like more than ever, And it's a really intense time to be alive. So then to also ask them to prioritize their health and have it get the grocery store and always ask at the farmers market if it's organic and be the picky eater at the restaurant. Like I get it. People are tired. Yeah. And so yes, like you have you get to really control the dials of your health in almost all ways. But it's also really hard to get your hand on those dials and you know, and I talk a lot about choosing your heart and I think it's it's hard to choose your heart. It's like, you know, we have a lot of things that the world are asking us to prioritize and especially if you're a woman, especially if you're a woman with a family So yeah, I want everyone to know that too, but I also want everyone to know that if you can't take responsibility in this moment or you cannot prioritize your health in this moment and there must be other things that you have to prioritize, that in a way that's looking out for your health too. Like if you just honor and surrender and forgive yourself, that that's taking care of yourself in some ways too. We always end on light work. Yes. <laughs> do you want to explain it, Whit? Sure. So we'd love for you to share a light work exercise
1: with our Sakara Light listeners, a way that they can start to take this information that we talked to today and put it into action so that they can shine their lights a little bit brighter. No, oh, I love that idea of light work. I think what I would love for everyone
2: to do is to use some of the tools in the book, to help you understand yourself. There are three in particular that I'm thinking of. One is the hormone symptom checklist to help you tie how you're feeling, because I really want you to understand, again, you. Tie how you're feeling to maybe you're dealing with something hormonal or not, and that's something you can revisit over and over again. The second is the emotional frequency scale, which is in the book. And I think it's really important to understand where you are landing emotionally. We all have things happen. And it's really important to understand where you are and where you may want to shift to. And then the last, which I think everyone asks me all the time, and they probably ask you guys this, like, I don't understand the environmental burden. I don't know where to start. I'm overwhelmed. This is too much. Take the quiz in the book, Your Toxic Load, Because it'll help you identify maybe one place where you can begin. Because we do want this to be easy. We don't want, you know, I don't want anyone feeling overwhelmed or like this is something that they can't do. I simply want them to understand themselves. And so these tools are there for an aha moment for you. This is where I can start.
1: That's amazing. I love that you're giving tools for us to be our own investigator, for us to learn ourselves better, get to know ourselves better, because... Nobody else is going to know ourselves more than we do. I mean, you're seeing tons of patients every day, every week. And so if you have an hour with a patient, that's amazing. But we have 24 hours a day with ourselves. Right. So if we can know what to look for in ourselves and start to see those patterns like you're talking about over time, then we're more likely going to be able to help ourselves recognize things in ourselves when they're right, when they don't feel right. So, that we can catch things earlier on and make changes. So, I really love that you're giving people the tools to be able to do that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Sakara Life podcast. Oh, thank see you, you both. Such Good a pleasure. Congrats on your book. Thank yeah. you. We'll see you soon. Yes. Take care, guys. Today, we're getting back to the basics of Sakara, and so we wanted to share a bit about our Sakara Signature Nutrition Program for all of those listeners that are new to us. We created this program after healing ourselves to help others feel the same transformation that we experienced through the power of food as medicine. This program is based on the science behind a whole food, plant-rich diet, and has been crafted around our proprietary nine pillars of nutrition which focuses on things like nutrient diversity and eating the rainbow, eating your water and getting enough sulfur-rich veggies into your diet, as well as cultivating body intelligence in order to have true mind, body, and soul transformation. The Sakara Signature Nutrition Program makes clean eating easy. It's entirely free from meat, gluten, dairy, refined sugar, pesticides, harmful chemicals, and GMOs. The menu is chef-crafted and changes weekly to highlight seasonal ingredients and recipes so you never have to sacrifice taste for eating healthy. If you're interested in learning more about our Saqqara Signature Nutrition Program, head to sakara.com to see how you can customize the program to fit your needs and lifestyle. That's S-A-K-A-R-A. Dot com and for a limited time we wanted to give you all a gift of transformation. So use the code Podcast 20 at checkout for 20% off your first order of Sakara life. I think so many of us are so busy these days trying to take care of the entire world around us, whether you're a busy professional or a mom, I encourage you to give this gift of nutrition to yourself. You deserve to feel amazing in your body. And when you nourish yourself, then you're able to better take care of the world around you and share your special gifts with the world.